This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Chick Radio. Welcome back to Counterculture with Marie. And of course, this time, as we do each week, it is time to dive into the media stories that catch not only my eye, but my partner in crime's eye, Marty Gibson. Good morning. How are you? Morning, Marie. I'm good, thanks. Good. Good. We had a long weekend, King's birthday weekend. I uh, dived into the papers across the weekend and also had a look at a few other things. I've decided not to touch on it because it kind of spoilt my day on Monday. But uh, Supreme Leader getting uh, the grand damehood. Yes. What she was doing? only accepted it for her fans. I have a theory yeah. on this. Oh, all right, we've primed the pump. Come on, let's hear it. Every ex-Prime Minister gets themselves a knighthood, right? What are the odds? What are the odds? So I think that there was a case of they didn't want to single her out by not giving her one because then they could turn around and play the misogyny card. But I think it's a golden handshake. I think it's, here you go, Pete. Thank you. Mm. Thank you for your service. Bye. I really do. And I think most people will look at that and go, really? Huh. And then just move on. You know, let's celebrate the ones that were on the list that actually did a good job. Well, I mean, you have to wonder about the list as well, because when you go through it, you can see it's been heavily uh, ratioed to make sure that, you know, the top one's all women. And Of know. the 182, I nearly did a survey did between you? genders, well, according to name, What I mean, how can one tell these days, between okay, genders... That what these services laid and whether they were cultural, social, or the like. And I mean, I didn't even need to do that. You just had to glance down the list and see that there was certainly a bias towards uh, those areas. Now, not saying that any of those people in those areas that received an award haven't done a lot of good work. I mean, they obviously have, but the convening committee that designs these things obviously cast an eye in a certain direction. I think you're right. I don't think they would have ever considered not giving Jacinda Ardern one. She's the ultimate insider. She's the, just like Chris Hipkins, she's a screen and a keyboard, the CPU somewhere else. It's on the mainframe. So, of course, the mainframe's going to give her a, a damehood. I was thinking about it last night. I would have been um, impressed if she had have said, I've been honoured enough and I really just want to return to life as a normal person. feel embarrassed by the adulation I've received and if it's all the same to you. You know, she's just an avowed Republican, so that's exactly what I thought too. I kind of would have actually respected her if she turned around and done that and gone, wow, this is a tremendous honour, but actually, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, Richie McCall did that, did he not? I don't know, did he? I think so. Oh, Richie, eh? What a mm. mensch. Anyway, that's enough on that. Took a little sort of kink out of my step on Monday, but um, I've regained it now, so it's all good. Now, we both dived into a lot of papers this weekend. One story you picked up was the lead story, was it on the Herald on Sunday? Uh, it was Weekend Herald. Weekend Herald. feel less safe, want more police, harsher penalties. And then the gaslighting starts. We well, get told by Granny Herald why actually we're safe and actually more police. You know, we've already got more police and actually harsher penalties. We're going to get a comment from a guy who thinks we should have no prisoners, which was Dr. John Buttle. So it sort of kicks off with him. So it sort of lays it out. Two thirds of New Zealanders are more concerned about being a victim of crime today than they were five years ago and harsher prison sentences and more police would make them feel safer. Weekend Herald poll reveals as part of an editorial series, the new New Zealand rebuilding better. It's not quite the 
Build Build Back back Better. With its BBB. Those Bs can sometimes look like sixes, just saying. The Herald is looking at the state of crime in our country and the solutions available to address it. So, yeah, sort of most people, 34%, want harsher sentences. 27% want more police. Further down, it says, far fewer respondents said the most important thing to improve their safety was more focus on rehabilitation rather than prison, 6%. More social workers and other support, 4%. Making alcohol harder to access, 4%. And stopping school truancy, 4%. I mean, I'm surprised that none of those are easier instant access to drug and alcohol inpatient care. You know, they should have those folks going into the holding cells the morning after and saying, are you happy with where your life's going? Is it time to clean up? Whenever you battle with those demons, it's often at those rock bottom moments. Yeah. Sorry. And how often have we heard stories where people have had that moment and they are like, right, we want change and the support is not there. They're like, ah, can you just shelve that for six months because there's a waiting list or there's no funding in this area? I mean, you're dead right. It's having teams of people who are there to help support people at the moment that they need it most. Yeah, go into someone's holding cell the day after they've done some dumb stuff, maybe bash their wife. You turn up with their kids and you say, hey, man, this is a changing day for you. You know, you could this could be the start of something a lot better for you because at the moment, where are you going? You're going to jail, right? We can have a talk to the police, but we've got a nice job in the hills cleaning up forestry slash. You'll be able to eat good food. You'll come out of it fit as anything, drug problems behind you. You will have dealt with some of the stuff that maybe you want to numb yourself to. And, you know, you can go on to help other people who are where you are right now. How does that sound? Yes or no? And you know what? Love or hate the Tamakis. Mm. This is where particularly the Man Up charity has been so valuable to New Zealand society because they've filled that gap for so many disaffected young men, particularly in that space. Yeah, the Tamakis in Gisborne, Norm McLeod, Norman Tess McLeod, uh, House of Breakthrough. Yeah, I've seen them uh, do a lot of good. I'm always, you know, it, it always makes me a bit uneasy tithing by high interest credit card, but it makes me uneasy um, tithing to Grant Robertson via tax rates that he's going to just waste. As you often do, you kind of see someone presented as an authority. You have a dig into them and you realise it's not as clear cut or they're not as as independent (laughs) a voice as you thought. So it's got Dr. John Buttle. This is from the story. Senior lecturer at AUT School of Social Sciences and Public Policy said, while harsher prison sentences and higher police numbers may make people feel safer, they did not lower the crime rate. He said prison tended to make people feel disconnected from society, while more police often meant the crime rate rose as officers had more capacity to arrest people. They catch more criminals, the crime rate goes up. So I, you know, just with that little bit of an interesting logical jump, I thought, well, what else can I find? So I had a look at, actually, I don't have where I got it from, but it was from a policy directions website all in on the idea that the prevalence of brown folks in prison is evidence that the system is racist the number of peoples of color incarcerated is 62.2 percent 50.8 percent of the prison population is maori and 11.4 pacific people indicating a strong racial bias in the criminal justice system is it that 
or are there aspects of Māori and Pacifica culture that are not working optimally in a modern Western democracy? Well, I know two weeks ago in the political panel, Ginny Anderson got Gaslighter of the Week Award for claiming that there was not a lot of crime. The reality of it is, is just because the arrests haven't happened doesn't mean that the crime has stopped. Yeah, well, as Theodore Dalrymple, my favourite essayist, said, it's a common misconception among liberals that if there were more justice in the world, there'd be fewer people in prison. You know, there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of scroty, scummy things who are just walking free and they should be locked up. So the old Buttle, so he's got the imported Marxist American Frankfurt School explanation, system racist. So the 2017 article, which seems to have influenced the startled, surprised, and as a result, totally policy-free winners of the 2016 election, which was titled Transforming to a Prison-Free Society, Buttle wrote, successive governments seem to enthusiastically support the notion that prisons work. Proponents of incarceration often cite the following reasons for imprisonment. It reduces crime deterrence. It ensures the safety of the public, containment, and it reforms criminals so they become useful members of society, rehabilitation. But prisons do not work, and this has been established by academics as far back as the 70s. And no reference for that. Sighing last fact, as usual. No references, no data. Let's do this. So here we are. You know, the prison muster's down by 11% and crimes right up. And then he's got a little more final leap in as this triple jump of logical fallacy. Prisons do not work, have never worked, and will never work. They do not deter. They do not rehabilitate. And while they contain for a period of time, when that containment is finished, the released prisoner emerges a more damaged person, more liable to reoffend. Given this, prison abolition is the only sane policy response because it is the only thing that has not been tried. Let's do this. See, there's no data there. He, that's a big leap to make, that no rehabilitation happens in prisons. Now, I've known people that work within corrections, within prisons, within rehabilitation. A lot of it does depend on the inmate. Yeah, of you how can't much... fill a bucket with a lid on it. Exactly. And there are inmates who are really motivated. They've actually had that holding cell feeling. It's gotten through the courts, they've landed up in the ultimate holding cell, and they're kind of like, yeah, no, this is not for me. And they get involved in the programs and, you know, there is actually good going on. Now, it's a pity that that actually has to happen in the prison system and doesn't actually happen in the social system, which I think both Mm. you and I would agree would be a better place for it. To actually claim that everyone that comes out of a prison is worse off is, I think, Yeah, quite a leap. I think there are a number there that actually are quite happy with their current lot in life. And they it it doesn't matter with every will in the world, they're not going to want to change. I spoke to a woman who was a senior manager in corrections. She said, basically, there are some people who just need to be locked up until they're in the middle age. There's that band of criminality that goes from late teens to mid 40s, burgling houses and jumping over fences is a young man's game. And you just need to keep them locked up, otherwise they're going to get out and reoffend. One of the businesses that I worked in, actually, when I first came to the Bay many years ago, we used to employ prisoners on early release. Uh, and so they were bonded across to us to work for that period, and then they got a period of time off their sentence in doing so. So, you know, it was a really interesting crew of guys that would come across, but a lot of them relished the opportunity to 
leave prison and go straight into work. Mm. They, and it kept them focused and it allowed the wraparound services once they left prison to actually get them into some good habits and move forward. The one factor that I saw just in the two or three years that I was there, two or three seasons that we did that, it was always family. If they had children and a supportive partner, they were more likely to rehabilitate, re-enter society away from crime. That oh. was the biggest factor. And that just, again, shows you the value and the importance of the integrity of the family, which, of course, all our little social justice ideologues would love to tear down at a moment's notice if they yeah. got half the chance. Work is, is such a panacea to so many, uh, so many things, isn't it? And my theory about prisons is, do you like, have a theory on this? I've, I've got a theory on this. I think the most energetically nice way to deal with it is for all of society's solid waste stream to go into prisons and emerge pristinely sorted out. I'd like to see cars going in there with all the plastics that make it up sorted into their different categories, all the steels. I would like society's disorder to go through prisons and be ordered by people who are there for causing disorder in society. And I'd like for there to be a two-tier prison system where people can say, hey, I want to get better from this. And, you know, there have been proposals before to tie improvements in literacy and numeracy to reduce jail sentences. Got no problem with that at all. In fact, I think far better. I'd like for someone who's in jail, Obviously, you know, it's difficult if someone's been murdered or something, but you could, you know, make a case to take to a parole. Hey, this guy's got a degree and he's done this and he's done that. How do you feel about this? Someone can bring order to chaos while they're in jail rather than just be in mm -hmm. chaos. As for gangs ruling prisons, mate, you know, why can't we stop that? I think it comes back to that whole governments love anything that makes people demand less freedom and more, more government. government exactly. When was the last time you saw the cops turning up to a gang headquarters with those Chinese area denial weapons, the rocket launchers, the tear gas that they used on the protesters in Wellington? Doesn't happen. How come? Why are these government institutions segregated according to gangs? Here's a policy for Christopher Luxon. Get some way of imposing harsh penalties on anyone who tries to intimidate someone who leaves a gang. Make it easier to leave a gang. Anyone who threatens anyone, or you'd have to sort of have a way of doing it, but make it easier to de-gang the country. And when you look at those gangs, they are really just family replacements for so many of these, particularly youth. They go there because they have such a dysfunctional family life and it, it replaces it for them. On crime, I picked up, um, there were two stories I picked up actually. One was, the small dairy and takeaway that is about 50 metres away from the store that I have, uh, so literally 50 metres down the road, was ram raided. And the poor guy had had a stroke the day before. So oh. that happened on, I think, on last Friday. So I was re really upset to hear about that. And then in the Weekend Herald, I think a couple of pages over from your article was one that I picked up, uh, Pack and Save Staff Packing Body Cam. Uh, big practice intended to combat store crime and rising privacy concerns. So this is about Tauranga Pack and Save who are now using body cam technology that you usually see on law enforcement officers. For the purposes of preventing crime and managing disorderly behaviour, the sign states when you enter the store. 
crime in supermarkets and intimidation in supermarkets is rife. They're looking at using it as a preventative. So then people may think twice before wanting to walk out with their boatload of groceries. And as they said here, brazen thefts from supermarkets, such as people walking out with trolleys packed with stolen groceries, is now commonplace. Body cams are already in use by some hospital security frontline council workers, such as parking wardens, who have to deal with threats and abuse on the job. Prison offices in New Zealand wear body cams with strict policies around footage use, storage and access. Footage is kept for 90 days and prisoners can ask corrections to access the footage that includes them. Footage can be used for staff training and improve security, but also capture inappropriate conduct, criminal activity, and can inform an investigation. I'm conflicted over body cams. I would hate to be in a store and have a security guard wandering around with a body cam filming my fat ass going down the aisles at Pack and Save. That wouldn't sort of thrill me. But at the same token, if that is going to make my experience while I'm at Pack and Save feel a bit safer not to see something untoward happen there and that is a non-violent way as opposed to arming security guards because this is where we're heading with the rate we're going well actually is that the lesser of two evils but again it comes down to do you trust them to look after that data what are they going to do with that data it's it is a conundrum Especially once you get to the checkout and you find that uh, your money card's not working because you've used your monthly quota of chocolate and red meat you yeah. drink <laughs> there's too many bottles of wine Put two back. I'd be doomed, mate. I'd be doomed. <laughs> they'd, they'd look at my vitamin C and they'd go, too much Chardonnay for you, pet. <laughs> well, you know that original crime story also had a quote from um, Dave Butterbean Latelli. Again, I've seen a theme on this. Māori are only allowed, and Pacifica are only allowed to say certain things that fit with the party line. So he was quoted saying, New Zealand needed to focus on big social issues such as housing, income equity and education, as well as the intergenerational effects of colonialism and the loss of assets on Māori. You know, I thought, oh, really? Is that it? And I went back and I found a really good story about him. And I did write down who wrote it, sorry. Uh, it was in Stuff. This old man was the president of the Auckland Mungra Mob, served, serving prison, and he got to the mongrel mob because when he was a kid to nice Seventh-day Adventist parents, he burned his primary school down. So he's made a state ward at nine. So, you know, I mean, I've spoken to plenty of Māori dudes who've been state wards and all sorts of bad stuff happened from that. There was a terrible legacy of it, not the least of which is our reluctance to create a child-referred system where kids can go and stay if they're unsafe at home. I think we urgently need that. We shouldn't think that we can't do it better than it was done. Well, Natalia is somebody who has done tremendous good in our community. Yeah, and if you look at why Sometimes. he's done good, he had an uncle, Ian, who became a high-flying businessman, chief executive of DFS and then restaurant brands. Latelli's family even briefly lived in Ian's Paratai Drive mansion. He had access to another way, okay? So he didn't have, okay, well, we're going to have to herd you over here with all these Māori and that's all you're going to hang out with because that's what you need. And he was taken out of destructive patterns of criminality. This is Dave himself. Criminality, ill health and underachievement by a mate who gave him stick, basically, for wasting away and forced some accountability of him, on him. So he found Latelli living in country Australia at his lowest ebb, no passport, no money, and so out of shape he couldn't fit into the economy class seat. He picked me up and said, F, 
uh, recalls the telly. He didn't realize how fat I got, how bad the condition I was in. So you can hear his uh, formula is personal accountability. So his formula for weight loss is, here's what I say to people. Stop drinking fizzy drinks, go for a walk. That's the effing secret right there. It's simple. You don't have to go, oh, I'm like this because... He no longer drinks, no longer takes drugs, doesn't go out in the evening, but home to his wife, Corrine. So personal responsibility, self-control, planning, action, stable, whānau life. Mm. There's your formula. And yet he makes that comment in the Herald, which in a way is is that him signalling virtue so they can leave him alone so he can get on to continue doing all the good work that he's doing in places like South Auckland and Tokoroa. You know, it's... Yeah, did they ask him a question and the, what he said came as if he'd volunteered it? But yeah, you know, we have to do that, but this, and that's what they got. And you know, the other thing that is very out of step with what we're told by the fat hinaki keepers like New Zealand's Al Sharpton, Willie Jackson, uh, you know, another factor in his success, he hangs out with successful Parker. Those are his mates. His main friendship group is the bunch of corporate types who do a pre-dawn boot camp with him near his West Auckland home, a group which includes Campbell, I'm not sure what his first name is, chairman of Sky City, who describes Latelli as just basically a hell of a good guy. To anyone outside, says Campbell, we don't look alike, but actually we have some things in common which are far more important. Those include, he says, struggles with depression, a shared view on what's fair, and a direct style of communication. These little bits that are sneaking in Mm. are contrary to that separatist agenda that's being pushed here, that divide and rule. You know, we should be aiming to be more than the sum of our parts. And also, too, this leads to the distrust in media. Because if you look at any of the work that Vitaly is doing, you know that it's good work. You know that he has got a formula. He is making it work. Positive changes are evident. And yet media is like, well, no, we can't have that. That's personal responsibility. That doesn't mm. that doesn't fit with the narrative. So how do we wokeify Dave enough so then that way he can pass with the likes of the great Hinaki keepers, like our friend Willie, and he doesn't fall foul of the cancellation brigade. It is just sad. He likes getting stuff done far yeah. too much to fall for yeah. it. And he's probably seen just the steady stream of, of people who uh, want to get some of the stardust on them, posing for photos with them, and he's probably felt a bit of disgust for them, mm. I would guess, because I've seen plenty of that. Um, there's another story, Making Auckland Māori Again, which is about uh, Māori artist Graham Tippany, and it's the same thing. You know, you just hear this the angry kind of um, victim-y part of it, where he's saying uh, uh, he, um, where is it? Yeah, so, so he's sort of hoping that, um, that uh, you know, his tāmoko has made him feel more accountable. And he said that the challenge is, you know, perhaps, then perhaps his partner won't be approached by a stranger in an airport who, noticing that she had arrived with two tattooed men, uh, waited until they were at the counter checking a ticket before approaching to ask if she was okay. Her response, I was okay till you came over here. It was weird, says Tiffany graciously. And I read that and I thought, that's capricious. You know, just someone's checking you're okay and you've got to snap back at them. And then I read to the end of the story, and I realised I've been friends with that woman for over 25 years. She's uh, the sister of one of my dearest friends who I flattered with for years. She is a little bit like that because she's, a, you know, she's a sassy lady. But that's not all of her. 
reading this, I got one one idea about her that you know kind of fits with my uh, uh, total understanding of her, but isn't the total understanding mm-hmm. of her. But you you read down and and he says, if my tipuna wanted to have a relationship with the newcomers, then who am I to shit on that relationship now? I am to maintain the hopes and dreams of my ancestors by making sure I do right by them. And then in turn, doing right by our kids and the future generations so that my grandkids can walk forward with all these other kids and go, yeah, we're united and thought we're equals. Amen, Graham. Couldn't agree more. You know, that's the direction. You know, I've met a lot of uh, tamoko um, and, and carvers. Man, they have got mana. Mm. You know, they're quiet. They don't have the... They don't tend to have the ego. They just want yeah. to get on with doing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah mm. it's real mana. Well, let's segue and a little bit now into Māori politicians. Um, Tori Fano, Tori Fano, the Mayor of Wellington. We have Wayne Brown in Auckland. I see Stuff took a swipe at him, didn't invite mm. Stuff to the press conference. Whereas Tori Fano, well, I mean, she just doesn't turn up to anything, really. According to this, uh, she's been facing scrutiny for absence at civil events and meetings, including a meeting of the Regional Mayor's Forum. But the Mayor thinks her focus and attendance is undue. I'm a young wahine Māori. I am progressive and unapologetically so. It's a shame, but it's from a minority, and I'm still excited about the outpouring of support that I've received from the community. I'm 40. I'm single. I love our hospitality scene. And every couple of weeks, I love to head out with my mates and hit a couple of bars. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, she told the News Hub Nation. There is mm. nothing wrong with that, darling. But as long as it doesn't stop you from doing your job and well, attending it meetings. Such, be such a flex for her just not to say, oh, it's misogyny and racism and just say, yeah, that's kind of what I do. Uh, yeah, I'm working on getting better. I love the job. You know, it was really surprising when that story was on The Nation, how I was kind of braced because the panel was uh, the anemic-looking blonde lady who fronts it and, and Andrea Vance and the chairman of Fano Ora, I think it was, and they didn't give her the free pass I was braced for. The lady who's the uh, chairperson of Fano Ora said, you know, it's um, it's telling when someone hasn't served on council before they're, they're a mayor. Andrea Vance basically called it out for the squid ink that it is, you know, Mm. obscuring the facts with charging people with an intent of racism or misogyny rather than just, hey, you know, we're in the crap as a a city. There's a lot of work to do and you don't seem that serious about doing the job that we really need done well if we're going to have a bright future. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, The only other things I'm going to skip over in politics, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time on them, but as you know, there's been lots of um, toing and froing and flip-flopping around national and policy, and I think, I mean, we've said it before, duff hands. There's a lot of distraction going on, lots and lots of distraction. There is actually quite a good piece in the Sunday Star Times about uh, a battle on the right for the Tāmaki seat, which has been a safe seat for National Simon O'Connor, but ex-Brook Van Velden is also standing in that seat. The only thing I would say if you're wanting to vote on that side of the political fence is be warned, because if you've got two strong candidates, uh, that can actually open the door. For something, the, 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 the correct day. 
Yes, absolutely. And Andrea Vance's underestimate David Seymour at your peril. And it's been intriguing, actually. There's been talk across the weekend around the support around the country. Both David Seymour and Chris Luxon have been doing roadshows around the country. Luxon was recently in Taranaki and with a very well-subscribed meeting there. A lot of people are turning out. And the media are quite shocked by this, that all these people are actually turning up to hear these politicians speak. Racist and misogynist. uh, Uh, No, actually, mainly Pākehā crowd is what they said for the Taranaki meeting. Actually, media, do you actually think that the reason these people are going to hear these politicians is because you haven't been telling them what these politicians have to say. So they actually have to get out of the Lazy Boys, turn off the Netflix, pop themselves in the Toyota Corolla, down to the local community centre and actually listen to them for themselves. Yeah, shocker. Yes, that's democracy. There was a really interesting little mischievous thing I saw on Facebook, uh, which was John Ansell uh, of the... Kiwi versus Iwi Don Brash National 2005 campaign, maybe, asked uh, Christopher Luxon at a meeting and, and filmed it and put it on Facebook. If you could satisfy yourself that fluoride in the water was causing a, a 7% drop in IQ in young children and that the vaccines were neither safe or effective and that um, the treaty did not prescribe co-governance, would you change your policy? And he just said no to a bunch of audience members clapping their hands like seals clapping their flippers. It seemed lost on them. If you found a different set of facts available to you, would you change your policy accordingly? No. Very telling. Mm. Who would say that? Now, before I dive into culture, have you got anything else on your little list that we want to cover off? Looking at the themes in the paper and the media generally over the past week or so, there's a real effort. And I know we talk about menticide. And one of the methods of menticide that all these shadowy government agencies, the Tavistock Institute, Project Monarch, all that sort of stuff, have arrived at is that if you want to basically get someone to behave the way you want, stress that's periodic is far more powerful than continual stress. So uh, and, and each successive bit of stress has a faster and more extreme effect. And you can really feel everyone trying to tr- keep the men's side up on women and, and really sort of the women are where the uh, election's at. You know, I saw um, old Fran O'Sullivan, I think it was, women's work shouldn't be the cleaning up. National must now show commitment to gender issues. I think New Zealand women must show a bit more commitment to facts and understanding of what's actually been done to them. Women need to reclaim women. Yeah, and I mean, the interesting thing that I've always found, if I'm around a group of people who see through what's happening in terms of just the lack of commitment to truth and the brainwashing and menticide, is, yeah, the women are, are, are all very feminine which doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean unintelligent. They're highly intelligent, highly capable, but they've got a softness about them that stimulates the best bits of masculinity. It's, it is almost an environment where you find gender roles returned. And, and women often say to me in those environments, where are the men? Well, yeah, the men, that whole process has been a lengthy one, hasn't it, of getting men just to think about their own pleasure and and away from their families. It's been a long run. 
There is some brouhaha in the last day or two around principals and those within the social justice communities who are very, very upset that a number of young men and boys particularly are creating, even in some cases, their own little Andrew Tate clubs to watch video content on Andrew Tate, claiming that this is toxic masculinity and then teaching young men misogyny. Look, I've watched a few of this guy's videos. I mean, he's a twat. The way you talk when you don't have kids. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, he he's a guy who's living his best life with his fast car. He's screwing a, a multitude of women, and he fell foul of his people in Romania. He is also unashamed about is the fact that he's a male, and he's not afraid to say that he's a male, and he and he hates all of this kind of stuff. I'm not going to stop my sons expressing who they are as young men, and their desire to become top G's. Yeah. <laughs> I think when you suppress this in men, oh. and this is what has been with the over-feminisation in our education system, I think that there are a lot of young men now out there in their 20s and 30s who are actually suffering from the stripping of power and helplessness that they felt through that education portion. So I'm certainly not going to do that. Well, I've heard a really interesting stat uh, this morning. If you're in the bottom 50% of attractiveness in men, you've got to, if you're on a dating app, you've got to swipe 200 times before you get a match. So you imagine what it's like being one of those guys. Mm. I think and now you know why identitarianism has become so powerful and popular, because if you are one of those guys, those are the guys that are identifying often as gender queer in order to liberate themselves or find themselves some inclusion within a group that will elevate them because right. normal women will just go yeah you're you're, you're nice you're, you're a good friend <laughs> they put them permanently <laughs> in the friend zone you know yeah I, I think you're right i mean it gives them the opportunity to feel desirable yeah um you know you get to wear frilly underwear rather than just your, your old kicks okay i can see the appeal understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there was a, speaking of that with you, which you were bringing up with young women and women taking things back, there was a piece, it was actually a book extract in... As she turns it over, uh, Herald on Sunday. And it was actually written by a woman called Brittany Ferrant-Smith, and it was around eating disorders. And it's the first time that I've seen something on an eating disorder with women for ages, because, of course, mm. these gender issues is what yeah. has now taken what over. Making the mentally ill lately rather Exactly. Than... And she talks about her experiences, but one of the biggest thing was around the stigma and the social cues and expectations placed on, that she felt placed on her at her age, particularly when she was at university. I read this article and I thought, well, you could actually replace every single thing that she said in this article in reference to weight and anorexia and replace it with identity and gender. Yeah. And you've got exactly the same story. And women are particularly susceptible to this. So if you've got daughters out there heading to university, um, it is certainly something to watch out for. But I thought it was a very good piece. The book is called Living Full, A Guide to Overcoming an Eating Disorder. And as I said, I think a lot of the tools that she will have, I can almost guarantee a lot of the tools that she has in there to overcoming an eating disorder will actually help you overcome a lot of this critical social justice and critical theory Mind if you worried about your weight, just use the Dave Latelli method. Mm. Stop drinking fizzy drinks and go for a walk. That's the effing secret right there. It's terrible 
seeing kids put into this short-term thinking despair about the future. And it's, you know what's even more terrible about it? It's deliberate. Mm. And once you once you cross that realization, I mean, I used to have these conversations with my old man, you know, saying, well, it'd be easy enough to find out who, you know, whether it's jabbed people getting heart problems, you know, they'd be able to break the data down. I used to say to him, it's quaint that you're thinking about this as a public health issue still rather than a neo-feudalist um, you know, depopulate yeah. the issue or whatever. Yeah. Once you get that idea, man, this is not accidental. We know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know that we know they are lying. We know that they know we know they are lying and still they continue to lie. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. A couple of other cultural things that I just wanted to touch on briefly. One was the Ruby Tui debate over the week Bix trading cards. Talk about a storm in a teacup. So if you haven't caught up with that, the Wheatbix in Sanitarium are looking at putting the Black Ferns and trading cards in the Wheatbix packs. Great, world champions, why wouldn't you? Brilliant idea. Ruby Tui, though, will only be on her card if she gets to put a rainbow flag on her card. Ruby, darling, mm. this is a trading card for you as a rugby player. It's got nothing to do with your lesbianism, sweetie. And remember, you forget who owns Sanitarium. So all this is, is you are making a mountain out of a molehill in order to press an agenda in Pride Week. No, Ruby, you get back to being a rugby player, darling, because that is what you are. You are a role model for young women as a sportswoman, not as a lesbian. You just happen to be a lesbian. I really don't care. And I don't think the girls really care who you sleep with love. Okay, yeah, well, a couple about. of layers to that. Firstly, who cares about, yeah, what your sexual preferences are? I mean, there's just that ongoing uneasiness I have about that creepy interest in children's sexuality. Mm. And, and that's what people's objection is, this creepy kind of... And, I mean, that interview you did with the lady last week about oh, how totally unqualified those inside-out people are, how getting oh, these Kuno, yeah. are, hey, you might actually be a girl. Man. You know, it's amazing how little understanding parents have got about what's going on. I had a conversation uh, the weekend with one of my, my son's friend's mums, and she was saying, oh, you know, my boy's, you know, coming home and saying, oh, I want to do harder maths. And so I wrote a letter to the school, but I haven't heard back, and they're getting him to um, teach other kids maths, and so he's not really learning. And I told her about that massy study that my kids school was involved in you know and if you look it up these massy academics first words equity mm. and it's like mathematics is a major driver of inequality so if we push you know the people at the top down maybe they'll help bring the bottom up and equity and uh, she was horrified and i said to her well you know my total disgust with the school came at the school play where they got a girl to play sir edmund hillary and she said well what's wrong with that and said rather more sharply than I, I expected. You know, the stuff you're, what's wrong with that about, is connected to the, oh, we'll get your boy who's good at maths to teach other kids maths to bring him down and bring them up. They're connected. Mm. So speaking of maths, this I got sent this by somebody who's currently studying maths through Massey University. Uh, it was as part of a calculus uh, segment. The lesson always starts with a quote at the beginning of the lesson before they go into it. And this is the lesson. You ready? My success is not mine. It comes from the collective. Nothing like a bit of Marxism mm. with your mathematics, eh? Yeah. 
That is, that's Massey. That's what they're teaching them at Massey. Yeah, it's crazy. The last piece that I've got that I just want to touch on, um, Charlie Mitchell, the post, you again, uh, yes, the post, and it was around what we we're talking about, this, this, this sort of creepy sexualization with kids. So I've talked obviously about the Bud Light situation, then of course Target with the pride tuckable children's uh, swimsuits. Well, here there is a pride rainbow collection which has been sold through warehouse and there's been a little bit of a local boycott of sorts here as well against warehouse now charlie um i'm going to read the headline in the first sentence and this will tell you everything you need to know for where our charlie sits cancellation campaign targeting new zealand companies a conspiracy influencer headed for the warehouse to speak to the manager Conspiracy okay. influencer. A conspiracy hey, influencer. And so what's happening is that there is a Disney collection that's been sold by the warehouse. The proceeds from certain products uh, go to the Rainbow Charity Inside Out. Now, I had this conversation just before with Helen, just before we came on. I dived into the Pride Kit for schools, which in, in Inside Out have the contract to provide Pride curriculum into the schools this coming week. But mm. you know what really annoys me? This is a gigantic grift from Inside Out. They had uh, multiple fundraising efforts as part of Pride Week. Now they claim, they claim that it was quite harmless. We support many incredible charities, uh, say the Warehouse, including Youth Line Salvation Army, Variety, Life Education, Inside Out, and they all do great work for our Kiwi families. Too true. However, Inside Out are been, have been targeting Kiwi kids through schools, plus through this, they're already well funded. So where's the money going? I'd love to know. Yeah, I'd love to know where all this money is going. Meanwhile, uh, the Inside Out Managing Director, Tabby Beasley, says, for the last few months we've been receiving hateful communications either via social media, email or phone on almost a daily basis, whereas this used to be incredibly rare. No examples of this, by the way, so we don't know what hateful is. Is hateful just, hey, we don't actually agree with what you're doing, can you please stop or can you please, please explain? It could be as simple as that. Even if they don't take hold in New Zealand, the attempted cancellations have an impact. Now, she uses the word cancellations. Charlie used the word cancellation in his headline. These are not cancellations, people. These are boycotts. There is a difference. Mm. A boycott is where you and I, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer, look at something and go, yeah, no, actually, I'm not going to take part in that. Um, I'm going to keep my dollar in my pocket and spend it elsewhere. That is a boycott. A cancellation is personal. A cancellation is when you smear an individual or a group to the point that you want to bring down and tear down that group. Mm. It's quite a different beast. But by using cancellation... Yeah, exactly. And I know all about it because been there, done that, have mm. the T-shirt. Uh, it absolutely makes it harder to go to work not knowing if there's going to be abuse on the other end of the line if you pick up the phone. But we are focused to continuing su- to support our communities across Aotearoa to feel safe and belonging, says Beasley. Where is, yeah. I'd love to see the evidence of this. I really would. It's just amazing how much of it is there. And, and you know, that, that, you know, I could bring in an Andrew Tate quote myself here. It says, you know, the West don't care about anything. The only thing they'll protest about is gay rights or trans rights. They don't care about kids not learning to read. They don't care about people 
busily starting World War Three because I don't want to play on their chessboard. You know, it's interesting to think, well, what am I not reading about in the paper that's a real big story? One of the things I pulled out was just the number of women in the paper either talking about infertility, like Nano Girl and the Herald on Sunday. Well, you know, seems like a lovely person. She's no Susie Wells, but still drank a fair amount of the Kool-Aid trying to have kids at 35 and couldn't. I had a search and, I mean, there was the bachelorette also complaining about being dumped after 18 months and saying that men were uncaring about female pleasure because of misogyny. And, yeah, then there was Nano Girl. And there are a few accidental mentions of New Zealand's plummeting fertility rates, which actually were at replacement rates of 2.1 per woman back as recently as 2014, but they're now at very, very low rate of 1.6 just nine years later. And there's nothing. I had a look on... Um, a search for Sir Ashley Bloomfield giving a crap about it and it yielded nothing, just vax, 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 like like Fauci. You know, his overarching concern was primarily injecting experimental gene therapy into every man, woman, child and fetus. You know, this is doing the search, monotonous series of articles from Stats New Zealand heralding another lowest year of childbirth. And this incredible quote in a stuff article from a fertility specialist this was a couple of years old, mine, because this was all I could find. But this was an obstetrics and gynecology professor at the University of Auckland, Dr. Michelle Wise. And this is what the, the, the learned professor said about our tumbling fertility rate. There's a lot of population experts and environment and climate change experts who might suggest we have a population overgrowth problem and having fewer children might not be a bad thing looking at a finite amount of resources. And, you know, when you read stuff like that and you realise there's this, it's almost like we're in a death cult. Yeah. And, and there's a profoundly anti-human agenda at play. Who has an anti-human agenda? What sort of human would have an, an anti-human agenda? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned to you before we went on air, actually, Talking about this exact issue, Paul Brennan interviewed Stephen Shaw. Now, he is the documentary writer and filmmaker who made a documentary called Birth Gap, Why the Global Birth Rate is Collapsing. That interview is on our replays, so just go to realitycheck.radio. Yep. Yeah, definitely go and check that out. Check the interview out, check the documentary out. And he, as he said, there is a misconception out there that the birth rate, it's important that birth rates drop in order to protect and preserve resources. He's actually blowing that idea up and the birth rate is dropping and it is something that is quite, I think is actually quite terrifying. Now, not necessarily for you and I, because I don't think we're going to be around to worry about this, but it's certainly concerning for our children and them moving forward. But it is one of many, many things for us to keep an eye out. Now, anyone out there, if you have any feedback that you want to give Marty and I, or if you've got a lead on a story that you want us to check out uh, for Media Matters, do send us a text 2057 or email us at inbox at Thank you again, Marty. So much to talk about, so little time. Well, isn't it funny how it's got to that? I'd add to what you're saying, though. If you're reading this and you're outraged with the stuff we're, we're saying, send us that as well. I'm really interested to hear, because as I've said before and as I'll keep saying, I'm not here so much insisting that my opinions are right. My opinions are just my opinions and the way I think about the data that I'm seeing. What I'm interested in is having the debate. 
And we're coming out of a period where this debate has been blocked by the media, it's been blocked by the academia, it's been blocked by the government, it's been blocked by the medical council, you name it. So it's really important that we start having these discussions in good faith. Absolutely. Um, Inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. Don't disappear. The vocabulary word of the week is still to come, as well as some more music here on Counterculture on RCR. Have a great week, everybody. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey. Wednesdays at 10am on Reality Check Radio.